Good afternoon and good morning. Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. It's Thursday, we have some news to cover, and we have some Raj to wake up. So let's go ahead and get to that. I didn't even answer my call, because they're already here. Here. Let me get my uh, headphones. Okay, here I am. Right. Hello. Good morning. headlines uh, a second here more shooting news that's depressing yep. are you, are you a lot of uh, unnecessary deaths happened huh are you doing the russian news uh i'm doing a news about a drone a drone a, uh, a kremlin drone incident ah okay gotcha i'll skip that sneak peek <laughs> talking about the kremlin drone I didn't want to do the same story. It'd be dumb, right? Hey, look, here's some sensational shit, and here's 1,500 examples of it. I don't care. But they consider news is sometimes, like, Google's got somebody else driving the train there. And we'll see if any other news organizations anything worth reading. I guess I got two two stories. I can look for a third while I'm talking. But I my emotions. Today on Before Coffee, Kremlin drone incident. Zelensky denies Russian claim Ukraine attempted to kill Putin. Scientists warn of AI dangers but don't agree on solutions. <laughs> Typical scientist. Yeah. It's an incredible feeling. The Greek skateboarders getting girls and refugees on board. <laughs> what a Fed increase, how a Fed increase could affect credit card debt and auto loan. Recovery of an ancient DNA identifies 20,000-year-old pendant's owner. All that and more today on today's edition. Today's edition of hey, it's the May May 4th edition. May the 4th be with you. Edition of <laughs> Before Coffee. Alright, my first news story, let's talk about Russia and Ukraine, because that's everyone's favorite topic. That's not true, but... Yeah, is it? It's it really is the only big news going on right now. There's a lot of other stuff happening, but this is the always going to be the big, you know, headliner. Something happened! Let's talk about it. Yep, it's Vladimir Zelensky has denied Russian claim that Ukraine was involved in a drone attack on the Kremlin that was intended to kill the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. Ukrainian president said on Wednesday, don't attack Putin or Moscow, we fight our territory and defend our towns and cities. Leave it to the tribunal, he added. Kremlin said on Wednesday that two drones had been used in the attack, but that they had been disabled by Russian defenses. He has vowed to take retaliatory measures. I mean, at this point, they could have just droned themselves and said, oh, Ukraine attacked us. <laughs> You have to find the source, and then you can make claims. You can't just claim somebody did something. That's why it's suspicious, right? right. Uh, oh, that yeah. guy robbed me! Actually, I really hate that guy, so I'm gonna say he robbed me, just so I can get rid of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we... 
We have, a, we have a investigation that will conclude with this. Yeah. Resolved. <laughs> Rind up the usual suspects. Uh, hours later, an air raid siren sounded in Kiev for the fourth time in seven days, and explosions were heard in the southern port of Odessa. U.S. Embassy in Ukraine warned its citizens in the country that there was an ongoing high threat of missile attacks between Kiev and Kiev Oblast regions. In a statement published on its website, the Kremlin stated it considered the attack a planned terrorist attack, an attempt on the life of the president of the Russian Federation. Two unmanned aerial vehicles were aimed at the Kremlin. As a result of timely actions taken by the military and special services, use of radar warfare, warfare systems, vehicles were put out of action. Kremlin Press Service said, It said that debris from the drone fell on the territory of the Kremlin. There were no victims and, and material damage, Kremlin said, adding that the Russian side reserves the right to take retaliatory measures where and when it sees fit. The president was oh, not wow. hurt as a result of the terrorist attack. Putin's spokesperson, Dmitry Peskov, said Putin was not in the Kremlin at the time of the attack. Peskov added that Putin would spend the day at the Novo Og Ogarevo state residence outside Moscow. Ukraine, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky denied that Ukraine was involved in the attack. He said, We don't attack Putin or Moscow. We found the territory and defend our towns and cities. Leave it at the tribunal, he said. I don't know you why they're repeating that. that when we already said it yeah. earlier, but okay. Bad writing. Get it. Yeah. Yeah, we get More it. More lazy writing. The it's Ukrainian like president doing made comments count. during a trip to Helsinki, where he also said Ukraine would launch yeah. a counteroffensive against the Russian forces soon. Okay, I'm waiting for this counteroffensive. <laughs> to keep on talking about. It's gonna be summer soon, just saying, and then it won't be the spring counteroffensive, it'll be the summer counteroffensive. Uh, Mike Halio Podolyak, an advisor of the Ukrainian president, also denied Ukrainians attack, saying it was the result of a local resistant force. Ukrainian wages an exclusive defense of war and does not attack targets on the territory of the Russian Federation, Podolyak said in a tweet. The emergence of unidentified unmanned aerial vehicles at an energy facility or on Kremlin's territory can only indicate the guerrilla activity of local resistance force. As you know, drones can be bought at any military store. Something is happening in the RF, Russia, Federation, but, but definitely without Ukrainian's drones over the Kremlin. Doesn't have to be Ukraine. Fixed-wing drones have longer ranges and flight times that can simply... that can... that times than simple deep quadcopters and craft much such as a Mugen 5 can theoretically fly for 7 hours at about 75 miles per hour, making long-range operation possible. Analysts speculated the drone could have been a Ukrainian-made UJ-20, which had a similar speed and range according to the manufacturer's website, but the brief footage and difficulty expanding to a clear image and any firm identification was possible. Russian drone experts speculated on whether the drone was launched from, an, from as far as field as Ukraine, theoretically possible despite the distance or from somewhere close to Moscow. The Russian drone expert Alexei Rogozin told a drone telegram channel that the drone could have been controlled from several kilometers by a pilot relying on the drone camera for navigation rather than remote protect coordinate. It may have been also equipped with anti-jamming devices. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said he used criminal reports of the drone attack but can't in any way validate them. We simply don't know. Lincoln told reporters. We asked about the U.S. position on any possible attacks by the Ukraine 
Ukraine on Russia, and he said these are decisions Ukraine to make and how it's going to defend itself. Attack on the Kremlin came days after the 9th of May Victory Day Parade marks the Soviet victory over Nazi Germany. Victory Day Parade in Red Square, which is located next to the Kremlin, is a highly symbolic annual demonstration in Russia, during which Putin traditionally speech. Before Wednesday's drone attacks or raptor parades and strikes, Kremlin said the parade would go ahead in Moscow despite the incident. Earlier in the year, Russia installed missiles designed to intercept aircraft incoming and incoming missiles on top of several defense and administrative buildings set in Moscow. We'll let you know in due time, spokesperson Peskov said when asked if Kremlin. I mean, there is definitely a possibility here that somebody testing if they could attack Putin during the parade, I guess. Uh, a practice round, but it seems oh, yeah. really risky to be doing a practice round and then revealing that there might be an assassination attempt. So, hiding the defense, right? Yeah, uh, they probably just some uh, rando with a, with a drone. Screen, you're talking. <laughs> uh, oh, well, you can hear me, so whatever. No, uh, they couldn't hear you either. So basically, what uh, he said is, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm saying Russia wants to have the cake and eat it too. They want to invade countries and they, they want Putin to, they want us to think that Putin is only unpopular one place, and that's Ukraine, which is nonsense. Everybody hates Putin, everybody, even China. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Because he's doing shit that China's like, stop doing this shit. That's our that's our stuff. We want to do later. Stop pissing everybody off in advance. Your story. All right. So in AI news, scientists warn. This is from AP News. Matt O'Brien from AP. Scientists warn of AI dangers, but don't agree on solutions. All right, right. The whole thing. Just kidding. Uh, yeah. Little humor. Little Thursday morning humor. Very little. <laughs> Very tiny, a little bit. Barely, barely detectable. Computer scientists helped build the foundations of today's artificial intelligence technology, a warning of its dangers. But that does not mean that they agree on what those dangers are or how to prevent them. Humanity's survival is threatened when smart things can outsmart smart us. So-called godfather of AI, Godfrey Hinton, Godfather Jeffrey Hinton, sorry, not Godfrey, Jeffrey Hinton said at a conference Wednesday at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, I'm just saying MIT for now. It may keep us around for a, for a while to keep the power stations running, but after that, maybe not. Probably not. After, they do need power. After retiring from Google so he could speak more freely to 75-year-old Hinton said recently, he changed his views about the reasoning capabilities of the computer systems he spent a lifetime researching. These things will have to learn from us by reading all the novels that that ever were and everything Machiavelli ever wrote, how to manipulate people, Hinton said, addressing the crowd attending MIT Technology Review's M-Tech Digital Conference from his home via video. You don't have to say via video. It never sounds bad. Via video. Even if I, can, even if they can't directly pull levers, they can certainly get us to pull levers. 
I wish I had a nice, simple solution I could push, but I don't. I'm not sure there is a solution. No. Fellow AI pioneer Yashua Bengio, co-winner of the Hinton of the Top Computer Science Prize with Hinton, told the Associated Press on Wednesday that he's pretty much aligned with Hinton's concerns brought on by chatbots such as ChatGPT in related technology, but worries that to simply say we're doomed is not going to help. The main difference I would say is that he's kind of a pessimistic person and I'm more of an optimistic side, said Bengio, a professor at the University of Montreal. I do not think that the dangers of the short-term ones, the long-term ones are very serious and need to be taken seriously, but not just by a few researchers, but by governments and populations. There are plenty of signs that the governments are listening. The White House has called in the CEOs of Google, Microsoft, Jet, GPT maker OpenAI to meet Thursday with Vice President Kamala Harris in what is being described by officials in a frank discussion of how to mitigate both the near-term and long-term risks of technology. European lawmakers are also accelerating negotiations to pass sweeping new AI laws. But in all the talk of the most dire future dangers, has some worried that hype and around superhuman machines, which don't exist, yeah. is distracting from attempts to set practical safeguards on current AI products that are largely unregulated and have been shown to cause real-world harms. Margaret Richel, former leader of the uh, Google AI ethics team, didn't she write Gone with the Wind? Maybe that's something. Uh, and she's upset that Hinton didn't speak out during his decade in a position of power at Google, especially after the 2020 ouster of prominent black scientist Timit Gebru had studied the harms of large models before they were widely commercialized in a product such as ChatGPT and Google's Bard. It is a privilege that it gets to jump from realities of the propagation of discrimination. Now, the propagation of hate language, the toxicity, and nonsensical pornography of women, all of these issues are actively harming people who are marginalized in tech, said Mitchell, who was also forced out of Google after the aftermath of Gebru's departure. He's skipping all over those things to worry about something farther off. Bengio Hinton and third researcher Jan Lacun, who works at Facebook parent Meta, Meta, sorry, were all awarded the Turing Prize in 19, 2019 for the breakthroughs in the field of artificial neutral networks, neural networks, instrumental to the development of AI's applications such as ChatGPT. Where researchers are less likely to agree is how current AI language systems, which may have many limitations, including a tendency to fabricate information, might actually get smarter than humans, not just memorizing huge troves of information, but in showing critical reasoning and other human skills. Adian Gomez is one of the co-authors of pioneering 2017 paper models that so-called transformer, the T in the end of the chat GPT for improving the prevalence of machine learning systems, especially in how they learn from passages of text. Then just a 20-year-old intern at Google, Gomez remembers laying on the couch at the company's California headquarters, which his team spent, sent out the paper around 3 a.m. when it was due. 
Aiden, this is going to be so huge. He remembers a colleague telling him of the work that's since helped land lead to new systems that can generate human-like pros and imagery. Six years later, and, and now CEO of his own AI company called Cohere, with which Hinton has invested in, Gomez is enthused about the potential applications of these systems, but bothered by fear-mongering, he says, detached from reality of the true capabilities and relies on extraordinary leaps of imagination and reasoning. The nation, the notion that these models are somehow going to get access to our nuclear weapons and launch some sort of extinct level event is not a productive discourse to have. It's harmful to those real pragmatic policy efforts that are trying to do something good. Asked about his investments in Cohere on Wednesday in light of the broader concerns about AI, he said no plans to build, pull his investment because there's still many helpful applications with language models in medicine and elsewhere. He also said that he hadn't made any bad decisions in pursuing the research he started in the 1970s. Until very recently, I thought his existential crisis was a long way off. So I don't, so I don't have any regrets about what I do. That's the story. Yeah. My problem with the AI is yeah, it's it's logic. So so-called logic, right? Yeah. That's what yeah. That's what all this stuff is. It's ones and zeros. Basically, it's called digital logic. Well, the, the, one, the, log the, one logical decision after another, and who's in control of what's logical? Okay, go ahead. Well, the big secret about AI is that the people are, make are all in the south. So all the people in the global north are getting all the, you know, oh, we don't have to pay somebody to do this, we can just hire an AI. But the global south is the one who's actually taking up the cost, right, mm. of it. They're the and ones also, making the programs, the ones working, you know, in AI sweatshops, basically. A bad term. You know, to help develop these AI. That's I'll give you an thing. example. Well, I'll give you an example. AI is already better. Uh, humans are lazy. That's our tendency. That's our overall tendency is to do the simplest thing possible to get the most satisfactory result. We're just lazy. So. I watch sports a lot, and I want information on, like, they just had the NFL draft, right? So much in the show yesterday about, hey, these guys are going to, my team drafted 13 players. Let's see what they have to say. These humans, with all the resources at their hands, made four factual errors about the players. They got one guy's position wrong, right? There was two players named Anthony Johnson, right? The Packers drafted one of them, the one from Iowa State. They had the Packers drafting, these are humans. <laughs> These are humans fully capable of collecting all this information before they hit the edit button and put this thing online. They did all, no, no editing, put four false things out. And I'm looking at them going, why should I believe anything these guys are even saying? What are they? they did no research. They're just reading what's on the screen and that's it. They don't even know. They don't even know they're wrong. Just like AI doesn't even know it's wrong. Yeah. You're looking at it and going, you're completely wrong when you're still talking. And you go down to the comments and people are going, why am I even watching this guy? He was wrong in the first player, right? Completely wrong. He did no, absolutely no reading, no research for a first round draft pick, none. And got him completely wrong. He said, well, this guy didn't start the whole season. So he has limited experience, but forgetting that he went to Iowa and what Iowa does is they will start their seniors, whether they're good or not, Put them on a bench and put good players on their next play. That's what they do. That's their tradition. So while this guy was a junior, like a redshirt junior, he was not going to start. He's not a senior. 
but he had the most defensive snaps on the whole defense for the entire season. But this idiot decided because he wasn't a starter, he didn't have any experience. Okay. Speaking okay, so experience. AI would have straight. AI would not have made that mistake. AI would have made that mistake, but a human should know better. I mean, do your research. It's very simple. Anyway, you're sorry. All right. Anyways, long tirade aside, uh, let's talk about ah. some skateboarding. Uh, Don't aside it, man. I, I, <laughs> it was ah. a pretty. It was like I was watching the counter. It was a pretty long side tangent. Um, oh, sorry. Um, speaking of sports, let's talk about skateboarding. Aradio is a skateboarder who teaches refugees in her native Greece for the grassroots charity Free Movement Skateboarding. The group has created a new community of young refugees bases across Athens. When I first started skateboarding in Greece, she says, some of the boys I skated with were very supportive, but I still heard things like, wow, it's really impressive, you're skating. I found it strange to thing to hear, but they weren't making the same comments about other boys. If you haven't tried skateboarding, it's hard to understand the joy it brings to you. First time you learn how to balance on the board is such an incredible feeling. It's like you're capable of anything. I first picked up my skateboard in Athens when I was 21. My sister bought me one. It was a difficult time for me, and being on the board helped me deal with what I was going through. Skateboarding brings you out of your comfort zone. It challenges you and helps you feel stronger. When I first started going to skate parks, there weren't many other girls, but now I see more and more of them skating and really encouraging. I've been working as an instructor with the free movement skateboarding for over a year. The organization starts skateboarding to children Refugee camps in Athens now teaches sessions all around the city, open to local kids. It's amazing to see how children grow in confidence in the classes and connect together. We have kids from Greece, Georgia, Egypt, all skating together. Try to encourage girls to come and, and youngest was six. It can be tough for them because they see all the boys who look like they know what they're doing. But I try to explain to them that there's nothing you can't achieve. You have to believe in yourself. I show them that we're all just learning. We fall and laugh about it. I mean, that is part of the fun of skateboarding is trying to trick and then falling 20 times and then, like, and then you right. finally get it. That's mm -hmm. that's what people like to watch. Funny how people get serious about skateboarding because to me, it's more like a fun game. It doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. I see often that when you bring kids together to teach something or cheer for another student, it helps break down gender norms. Everyone is on the same board. True, well, for the most part. Some people might have cheaper boards. <laughs> Sometimes I see a girl peeking through the fence during a lesson and I know they want to come inside. They might be shy. I encourage them to try it for a minute. I did a course on gender equity and female empowerment. I think this stuff matters, particularly in a country like Greece, where we can be a bit closed-minded in gender equity. Yes, famous kind of acting. Great to see more and more girls skateboarding in Greece. And from a young age, but it's just amazing seeing women of any age on a board. It's incredible how many good skateboarders we have in Greece, given that we don't have many skate parks. I'm hoping more girls will start coming to the classes. Some of the girls we teach want to practice in the spare time. There aren't enough skateboards, skate parks in Athens, and frankly, this is an issue for many skateboarders in the country. Free Movement Skateboarders is raising funds to build his own skate park in Athens. It's important for several reasons. Not only will it be a good place to raise awareness about gender equality and skateboarding, but also it will provide a crucial safe space for all the young people, boys and girls. It'd be amazing to have a skate park to pass on to new skaters and encourage a wider 
hopefully get more and more girls on the board too. Radio chose to only give her for can't find where she lives and ask her to teach us the skateboard. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought it was a really nice story, a really uplifting story above all of the chaos that goes on every week. You're right. On before coffee. And as somebody who's been learning to longboard, which less skateboarding going downhill, I think Melanie was doing it. Yeah. About. Yeah, I know. I'm, I know what It is about. nice um, to be able to balance on really good for your general health to be balanced right right definitely yeah again you should definitely exercise more and yeah cities should build more skate parks uh, and it's a little bit easier to organize than team sports for sure right you know yeah. it's called draft a team and formally and buy uniforms yeah get a skateboard and join them kids go spray paint trains yeah exactly <laughs> but don't do some shitty graffiti either do some real good stuff. Uh, okay. How a Fed increase could affect credit card lates debt, credit card debt, and auto loans. This is New York AP again. Cora Lewis, Adriana Morga. The Federal Reserve has raised key interest rate again, again. This drive to cool inflation, which has already been cooled down, so who knows why they're doing it. On Wednesday, on Central Bank boosts benchmark rate by a quarter point to 5.1. Rates on credit cards, mortgages, and auto loans, which have been surging since the Fed began raising rates last year, all stand to rise even more. The result will be more burdensome loan costs for both consumers and businesses. So how does this slow inflation again? Am I making stuff cost more? I'm lost. I'm still lost in this. Four years economics, I still don't know why they think this slows inflation. It just causes people to lose their jobs. That's all it does. On the other hand, many banks are now offering high rates on savings accounts, giving savers the opportunity to earn more interest. <laughs> oh yeah, higher rates on savings accounts. Here, here you get 70.75%. Oh boy, let me run, throw all my money in there. <laughs> Jesus, I get better rates just gambling every day, right? Yeah. I just take a dollar, I take $10, and make a couple of bets and win about four dollars. I'll be doing great. A lot better than your stupid interest rates. On the other hand, many banks are now offering higher rates on savings accounts. Well, did already. Economists worry that the Fed's streak of ten rate hikes since March 2022 could eventually cause the economy to slow too much and cause a recession. I think that's what they're aiming for. They'd like it when poor people are poor for some reason. What's prompting the rate increases? The shorter answer: inflation. Inflation has been show, show, slowing in recent months, but it's still high. Measured over a year earlier, consumers' prices were up 5% in March. Uh, coming from me, just little old me who grew up in the 70s, with double digit, like 12, 15% inflation. I don't know that raising interest rates ever helped that either. All it did was make more people uh, lose their farms, basically. The Fed's goal is to slow consumer spending, thereby reducing demands for homes, cars, and other goods and services, eventually cooling the economy and lowering prices. That is not their goal. Their goal is to throw people out of work. There is no, there's nothing in there that says that's going to reduce the demand for homes. Well, it's other than people are going to borrow money. But yeah, but yeah, people are not going to borrow money because of the interest rates. But the most reason they're not going to borrow money is because they no longer, they no longer have a, a secure job because they just saw everybody get laid off in their yeah. industry. 
That's why people get insecure, not because of this crap. The Fed's goal is slow consumer spending, thereby reducing, yeah, we did that. Fed Chair Jerome Powell has acknowledged that in the past that aggressively raising rates would bring some pain for households, but he said that doing so is necessary to cause high inflation. Who is most affected? Anyone borrowing money to make large purchases such as home, large appliances will likely take the hit. New rate also includes credit card debt. Consumers should focus on building up emergency savings and paying down debt. Oh, isn't that nice for you to say that, Mr. Bank rate Oh, you should have more savings, you silly people whose all their prices keep going up. Why don't you have more savings? What's happening with credit cards? Even before the Fed's latest move, credit card borrowing had reached the highest level since 1996. The most recent data available showed that 46% of people were carrying debt from month to month, up to 39% a year ago. So let's nail them. Let's get their money. Let's get more out of them. Total credit card balances were $986 billion in the fourth quarter 2022, according to Fed record high, but that amount isn't adjusted for inflation. Doesn't matter. You're not helping the situation. You say you're slowing borrowing, but you are not slowing borrowing. People are just borrowing more at higher interest rates. This isn't working, dude. This ain't working. Yeah. How will an increase affect credit card rates if Fed doesn't directly dictate how much interest you pay in your own credit card debt? But there needs to be a limit, and it needs to be about 15%. The latest increase will likely raise your the APR on your credit card at 0.25%. So if you have a 20.9 rate, which is the average according to the Fed's data, it might increase to 21.15. Uh, so yeah, credit cards are going up, money's getting more expensive in the United States because the banks are worried that people's spending habits are gonna cause more inflation which is not what's caused inflation in the first place. It was corporate profits. Hey, read it after me. Corporate profits. Can we just tax these rich people? This will solve our problems. Yeah. Taxing the rich, taxing the rich. Repeat after me, economics people. Tax rich people. They have all the money, all of it, all of it. We have almost none of it here. Raising interest rates on us poor people is just gonna make us more poor. That's all it's gonna do. You don't mean well, so I'm not being nice. You just don't mean well. You're rich and you just don't like people that don't that aren't rich, and that's all there is to it. You don't think we're capable of doing anything but taking your abuse. Your story. Hey, more exciting hey, economics. I'm are going down the drain. We're in late stage capitalism. It's just like, okay, fuck it. We give up. We're just going to take all the money. But We're just going to. No one knows what's going on. We don't either. Thanks for the multiple zeros on the back of my bank. I'll translate. I'm a banker. I'm in charge of the Fed. I've always been a banker. All my friends are bankers. I only look at things from a banker's perspective. I only, I only think of poor people as that rabble out there. It's a statistic on a chart. Look at my yeah. charts, look at my charts. <laughs> Not people, oh. Why are people so upset? They okay, can't afford rent start. and they're dying. Oh, well, that's not my problem. I, my chart says it doesn't matter. I don't care what your politics are. If you ain't got no money, you're pissed. Okay, yeah. go ahead. All right, in archeology span news, because I saw this interesting article, there's a recovery of an ancient DNA identified a 200,000, no, sorry, 20,000-year-old pendant's owner. 
Elk Tooth Pendant is what it's called. First prehistoric artifact to be linked to a specific person using genetic They used a method that can isolate DNA that was present in the skin cells, sweat, or other body fluid by certain types of pores and material, including bones, teeth, and tusks, handled by someone thousands of years ago. Objects wow. used as tools or for personal adornment, pendants, necklaces, and bracelet rings, and the like, can offer insight into the past behavior and culture through our understanding, though our understanding has been limited by an inability to tie a particular object to a person. I find these objects made in past extremely fascinating. They allow us to open a small window to travel back and have a glance into the lives that the molecular biologist of the Max Planck of Evolution Anthropology and German. The lead author of the study published on Wednesday journal Nature. Researchers who found the pendant, which was determined to be 19,000 19, to 25,000 years old, loves and faith Max when handling avoiding contamination with modern DNA. It became the first prehistoric artifact linked by genetic sleuthing to a person. Stone Age women closely related to a population of hunter-gatherers known to have lived in part of Siberia, east of the cave site in the Yaltai Mountains in Russia. It is unknown whether the woman made or merely wore the pendant. As was said, in holding such an artifact in her own gloved hands, she felt transported back in time, imagining the human hands had created in mid-thousands of years. She added, As I looked at the object, a flood of questions came to mind. Who was the person who made it? Was that tool passed down from one generation to another? From a mother to a daughter or from a father to a son? That we can start addressing the questions and it's still absolutely incredible. Dependence maker drilled a hole in some now lost cordage. Alternatively, could have been part of a headband or a bracelet. Our species Homo sapiens first arose more than 300,000 years ago in Africa. Oldest known objects as personal adornments date to about 100,000 years ago. Continent, according to the studies archaeologists. Denisova Cave was a long ago, long ago inhabited at different times by the extinct human species called Denisovans, Neanderthals, and our species. Cave over the years has yielded remarkable finds, including the first known various tools and other artifacts. The non-destructive research team at a room laboratory and life works much like a washing machine. In this case, an artifact is a personal liquid that works as a washing machine from the plows. By linking objects with particular people, you can put light on prehistoric and flavor. Clarify whether or not an object that was made by our species. Some artifacts have been found in places inhabited, for instance, by Homo and Neanderthals ingeniously. The study opens huge opportunities to better reconstruct the role of individuals in the past of I don't know why they're so uh, I don't know why they're so obsessed with that. I think they really, 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 really want to prove that gender norms are a natural occurrence or something. That right? Women have to be homely. Because two hundred thousand years ago, they were gathering berries. See, that's exactly the same thing. <laughs> Except that they've already found plenty of um Well the thing is you can't really accurately determine somebody was a male or a male 
it's interesting though it's 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 it, that's why it's a study right archaeology kind of decipher like like most it's a science but you don't even know if you're right yeah. <laughs> it's like guessing it, yeah it's kind of what, making assumptions it's like when they call economics a science so like yeah what's the saying if you uh if you take every economist in the world and lay them end to end you will still not reach a conclusion <laughs> that's not my joke i don't know who said it Again, Your barely. Next story. Okay, and uh, other ways people are trying to fix their economy. This is England. Britain's economy needs a pick-me-up. Is the coronation enough? Well, let's see. This is a story from New York Times writer Sandra Mikowitz. Caught between the slow growth and high inflation, businesses are hoping King Charles' coronation will boost her, boost her confidence among enough to last more than just one weekend. Pull up a chair. Britain's business hope. The celebrity mode mood lasts a while. They probably should have done it in the summer then. Dawn Anchor, who runs a pub in the village of Kingsworthy, about 600 miles, 60 miles southwest of London, has everything she needs. Reams of red, white, and blue bunting. Oh, excuse me. Bunting. Minion Union Jack flat, mini Union Jack flags, and life-size cardboard cutout of King Charles III. The weekend's coronation of Britain's new monarch has been a gift for the establishment. One of just a handful of pubs in Britain aptly called the King Charles. And like many business people enduring Britain's economic doldrum, Ms. Anchor hopes the coronation will bring some much needed cheer. At the King Charles, the celebrations will begin on Friday with 17-hour day, serving breakfast through dinner with afternoon tea in between. Fuller's Coronation's King's Ale, a special bitter, will be on tap and likely to contribute to the estimated 17 million extra pints that are expected to be poured around the country over a three-day weekend, according to, to the British Beer and Pub Association. So lots of dr drunk limeys out there. And I say limey as a, a term of affection. Story continues below every time. Oh, that's not even part of the story. Festivities <laughs> <laughs> at the pub. I know that's bad, right? <laughs> Imagine doing that on a, on a news show. Festivities at the pub extend beyond the traditional British pastime of drinking. Also planned cake competition, dog shows, horse and carriage rides, choir singing, and other musical performance. I'm hoping for a huge increase in customers, Miss Anchor said. But what's more important, she said, is the weekend is a chance to showcase what we do and attract people to keep coming once the coronation is pulled down. It's all about what people might do after, she says, because this, cannot, this is not sustainable. This drinking nonsense is definitely not sustainable. The country business and households alike could use some respite for much of the past year the british economy is is stagnant its inflation rate is the highest in western europe food prices are about 20 percent higher than a year ago and households are, are feeling the cold grip of these costs of living crisis maybe you shouldn't have quit the european union huh uh, yeah maybe yeah maybe idiots maybe you would have had some more buffering against this instead of going shit we're on our own hope the us helps us Let's kill the queen and have a coronation. <laughs> Let's kill the queen and have a coronation. It'll help. I'm not accusing anybody. It's a joke. It's a joke. It was 97. Okay. Energy bills at the King Charles have doubled 
And the food costs have jumped, increasing the number of customers, for example, with cutting prices on meal on quiet days has been the only way the pub has been able to battle soaring costs. Business has been good, Ms. Anger said, but the efforts to draw people into the pub can't let up. The coronation weekend is an unmissable opportunity. There's a British word, unmissable. The hospital industry in particular is set to benefit this weekend, which includes a national holiday on Monday. UK Hospitality, a trade group, estimates business will bring an additional uh, 350 million pounds sterling, which is translated to $437 million. As hotels fill up and pubs will be allowed to stay open later, businesses hope the coronation can feel the upswing in consumer con- Here's an idea. Just have the business stay open later longer for the whole summer. How about that? All right, there's a bunch of pictures. The overall impact could be, be going to be very small. Could be positive, could be negative. Stephen Miller, the, the deputy director at the National Institute of Economic and Social Research. National holidays tend to reduce economic output because of offices, factories, and many other workplaces closed for the day, even as tourism and hospital activity increased. Last June's Platinum Jubilee weekend, which celebrated Queen Elizabeth's 70 years on the throne, included additional holiday, had little effect in the quarterly economic growth data. The overall picture is going to be very sluggish growth this year, and I don't think this is going to change, coronation or not. Mr. Miller, Party pooper said, Britain, <laughs> Britain might avert a recession this year as the economy is doing marginally better than expected. See, AI, AI does not give you this commentary right in mid-sentence like, like we do. We provide, you know, we provide some meat to our stories. Okay. But the coronation could improve confidence, Mr. Miller said. Miller said. I almost said Mallard. The economy could do with a bit of a pick-me-up. The last coronation in 1953 was also expected to bring some relief. The economy was still recovering from the Second World War. There were familiar familiar celebrations, including processions and street parties. Sugar rationing was still in place, though. It was slightly loosened to help people enjoy the celebrations, according to the British Parliament's website. Seven years later, cakes and other treats are essential to the celebrations. Food retailers are selling coronation-themed cake, biscuits, and other items. The Center for Retail Research estimates that 130 million will be spent on food, and another 245 million pounds sterling on souvenirs and memorabilia. The sales would be boon to other retailers because of most of the other past two years, sales volumes have been falling as high food prices force people to cut back. Pouting has been, uh, it will be a welcome boost to bakery. Blah, 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 blah. The start of the year has been quite a bit quieter than I was expecting. Even though it's been picking up significantly now, I think we'll still maybe seeing as much excitement internationally around the coronations that we're expecting. People want to avoid the, <laughs> if people want to avoid the crowds, they will visit London after the coronation and still spend money, which is actually a logical thing to think. I don't want to go to the crowds. I just want to go experience the New England without a queen. Back at the King Charles Pub at Kingsworthy, there's also expectations that the being 
this is just the beginning. Visitors to the pub this year will be greeted with billboards and advertising coming events, including outdoor performances of Romeo and Juliet. This is the start of the summer for us, Miss Anchor said. Your story. All right, summer in Britain. It's decent enough. I've been there. Summer. Yes, ma'am. I did like Scotland more. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, from Culture News, let's go over. I love London. I love it. I love it. Go back. Uh, from Culture News, let's go over what happened during the 2007 writer strike. What may happen in the future now that a new writer strike is less? Earlier this week, the Writers Guild of America officially launched an anti-white strike in light of the alliance of motion picture and television producers. Need a refusal to keep them on a reasonable ground in their negotiation for a new contract. The union has fought for a guaranteed number of on-the-job weeks staffers, pay structures to compensate for the residual eliminated by streaming, and regulations to rein in the looming existential threat of artificial intelligence. Organization representing the studios and the networks countered with a counter refusal to tell the amount of work that can legally be done for no money. Proposed a day rate comedy writers that essentially turns the process of making TV into a form of freelance employment at will. These groups must now play chicken for the soul of art in America, which directly hinges on the fundamental human right to do your job under financially livable conditions. The other path at this decisive fork leads to a clear dead end for movie pictures. Crisis concerns the dynamics in management and labor, but as consumers, it's our tendency for those to see conflict in terms of what it will be mean for us regular folks. Fortunately, for those keen on playing armchair analyst, recent history supplies a clear precedent for the rocky times to come. The WGA last went on strike for 14 weeks, beginning at the tail end 2007, as the rapid expansion of new media and the online economy to reform the landscape of movie television. The stoppage had a cataclysmic effect on output as an in-progress project died on the vine. Shows went haywire without the guidance of the writers. Films were rushed into, through, and out of production. One hopes that the AMPTP won't allow matters to turn so dire again, but in the event that they do, we already have a notion of just how widespread the collateral damage will be. WGA also went on strike in 98, during which time, ex- time executives at Fox circumvented the lack of available writers by developing COPS, a compl- compilation of unscripted footage documenting the encounters of on-duty police officers. Reality TV likewise exploded in 2008 as a quick and cheap generate content unencumbered by creative inspiration. The Apprentice had been on steady season-by-season ratings decline come 2007, until NBC diverted its towards retelling the show as the Celebrity Apprentice and created a monster hit during the thick of the work free. One of the possible point A's that set up our way to the point B of the phrase Trump's America. The spiking Celebrity trend with, Sorry? Celebrity Apprentice. The yeah. beginning of the end. Go ahead. The spiking trend quickly cooled into the accepted wisdom that reality reality programming meant fast, easy, reliable paydays. Other networks followed suit. In the post-strike months, the Learning Channel, having debuted its original programming in 1930, Great Books, a literature survey co-produced by Walter Cronkite, premiered Toddlers in Tiaras, Cake Boss, I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant, 90 Kids and Counting, Little Couple, and a de-staffed cops clone called Police Women of Broadwood County. 
<laughs> oh my god, I didn't even realize that this is why our brains rotted. Like, I'll be honest, I believe reality your brain rot. I was saying it at the time. And this yeah, is this is why, got, because they got tired of playing the writers. PTP didn't want to give residuals for streaming. Mm -hmm. And they don't that want to pay happening. writers. They don't want to pay writers either. You can just tell the, the guy with the camera, say something outrageous, and that's it. <laughs> Late night programs live and live and die by the writer's room. And their changing status conveyed the effects of the strike in real time. Ellen DeGeneres crossed the picket line to continue on her show, exercising, excising the monologue and explaining that she couldn't bring herself to lay off the 100-plus employees to be affected by a shutdown. Conan O'Brien took a different approach to looking out for his people. While paying their salaries out of his own pocket, he returned to the air with a statement expressing solidarity with their cause, then held the show hostage with deliberately tedious footage meant to draw attention to how badly he needed writers. Stupid, shrill, and often hilarious in spite of themselves, segments from his old limbo period about O'Brien checking with the idol writers as they played video games, video game rock band, found himself to be his personal record for the longest continuous spin of his wedding ring on his desk. <laughs> Fiction TV took it on the, sh the shins hardest during the strike as the Suits cut episode order and outright canceled whichever shows they could consider any. Casualties of this slash and burn doctrine included the long-running sitcom Girlfriends, modestly claimed dramedy, Men in Trees, cult sci-fi series The 4400, the New Orleans set principal Hayville. Soap operas attempted to forge ahead with non-union writing. Fans vehemently rejected the pale imitation of the article. Fox period, Fox uh, pride controlled Family Guy from the creator Seth MacFarlane and episodes without his approval. In a phased background at Saturday Night Live allowed her to take the truncated 30 Rock on stage for a person performance at New York's upright grade. Many shows never recovered from the disruption narrative. Heroes, being the favorite example of a mythology that went off the rails after a strong freshman season, pushing daisies maintained a more consistent level of quality. ABC capricious rulings cut the show short before it could connect with a wider audience. Because the scripting of movie represents a more finite, closed-off act than ongoing writing and show, the film sector fared somewhat better, though not without its fair share of disasters. Any would-be blockbusters found themselves racing against the clock to get something on paper strike away. In fact, the situation that led to Michael Bay, by no means a man of letters, to get upon himself to sculpt the outlines for the Transformers Revenge of the Fallen and the play he could use. James Bond Pincher Yeah. The James Bond Pincher Quantum Solace, widely criticized upon release for its difficult to do to follow plot, also suffered from a lack of on-hand scribes that forced star Daniel Craig to take a crack at writing himself during shooting. George Miller had begun casting his superhero crossover Justice Portal by 2008, but Warner Bros. wanted to rework the concept, which the strike wouldn't allow. So he shut down production down instead. Close the sliding doors portal to a pop culture universe drastically different from our own. The continuous chapter of history tells a bleak road ahead, though the fight for the fair wages is nowhere near as alarming as without it. If writers can't earn a living from their craft, there will be no more writers. Business people confident that ChatGPT can whip up the next Get Out or Mad Max Fury World will be disappointed to find that there's no synthetic substitute for God. 
As audiences increasingly wake up to the fact, profit margins they'll see speakers are fond of will start moving in direction that that don't make them happy. Corporate greed, motivated by an untenable mandate from Wall Street, somehow sustain exponential growth forever, represents a suicidal spiral for showbiz. Recognizing the worth of the professionals that give value to these beyond film making savvy or even moral imperative. Simply an objective effect, the only feasible way forward for financiers and artists in life. Yes, just pay people what they're worth and stop complaining. Stop trying to make a billion dollars and live on a million dollars. Easily. Yeah. We need the next blockbuster. We don't care what how we get there. Pay writers, don't pay writers, whatever. If it's blowing up elephants, they'll do it. Yeah. They just want to make a buck. Is that it? Yep. On to the this day in history. That's what I was gonna say. That's why another reason AI is gonna fail because there's so much nuance in our language that it just will get things wrong and you'll look at it and go, that's completely wrong. And it's trying to talk to a human without offending a human, which is yeah. impossible to do. So it's going to say, well, that's an appropriate word to use. And I'm like, it's not inappropriate. You're just trying to be too unoffensive. I had an argument with AI telling me it's not offensive. It really isn't. I'm not offended. I'm the only human in the conversation and I'm not offended. So stop th saying it's offensive to human when you're not a human. <laughs> <laughs> AI? You can't tell me what's offensive. You don't know. Okay. In this day in history, 1770, Francois Girard, French neoclassic painter, was born. In 1814, on this date, Napoleon landed in the island of Elba to serve the first of his two exiles. Heck, he was, he was back in the saddle in less than a year, wasn't he? Uh, so that didn't last. Well, I'm, well how long was it Elba? Five minutes? The Battle of Chancellorsville in 1863 took part in the American Civil War. In 1886, the violence between police and labor protesters erupted in the Haymarket Riot in Chicago, dramatizing the labor movement, which is talking about struggle for recognition in the United States. In 1919, what later became known as May 4th Amendment, patriotic Chinese students protested the decision the Paris Peace Conference that Japan retained defeated Germany's rights and possessions in Shantung. So yeah, Japan got to retain defeated Germany's rights in China for some reason. That makes no sense. During World War II, U.S. This is 1942. During World War II, U.S. air and naval fleets turned back Japanese invasion force, heading for the strategic port Mosby, New Guinea, in the Battle of Coral Sea. In 1950, 1850, 1959, the first Grammy Awards were presented, and the winners included Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, and the Kingston Trio. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. The that, that, was their, that was their song. In 1961, the first Freedom Ride, a political protest against the segregation and interstate bus travel in the South, began as a group of white and black Americans departed Washington, D.C. on buses bound for New Orleans, the Freedom Ride. One of the great things in American history you should read up on, everyone. 1996, Jose Maria Anzar of the Conservative Popular Party became Prime Minister of Spain. As in 1996, and today's birthday, golfer, Irish golfer Rory McElroy, 
born in 1989. Audrey Hepburn born in this day, May 4th in 1929. It's Audrey Hepburn's birthday. We always celebrate that morning in Star Wars. Ethel Keith Herring's birthday. Also, Horace Mann, American Educator's birthday, and President of Egypt, former President Hosni Mubarak's birthday was 1928. And also on this day, the tragedy of Kent State. Four students shot at Kent State on this day in 1970. Anti-Vietnam War demonstrations at Kent State University turned deadly when the Ohio National Guard shot four unarmed students and wounded nine others, further turning public opinion against the war. The one they don't talk about on that date also happened at Jackson State, Mississippi. I don't know why, but two people were shot in Jackson State, Mississippi during protests the very same day. Ohio, the Kent State one got more publicity. And also today is World Password Day. In case you don't have 700,000 passwords like the rest of us, welcome to the world. <laughs> National Orange Juice Day is May 4th also. It's a lot of days. Strap yourself in. It's also National Day of Prayer, like every single other day. National Star Wars Day, we have already covered that. May the 4th be with you. Ha 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 ha. We got them puns. National Day of Reason. <laughs> Which never happens in this country. I'm not even sure why they even have one. National Candy Orange Peel Day. Well, it's National Orange Juice Day and National Candy Orange Peel Day. So oranges are just trying to monopolize every day in the calendar. Get an orange, eat one, go buy oranges. Hey, everybody, get out there, buy oranges. <laughs> That's what they're saying. Yeah. It's also bird day, which to me is every day. I love birds. Anyway, National Weather yeah, National Weather Observers Day, also every day. <laughs> National Self-Employed Day, again. Hey, I'm self-employed. That's me. You need to eat a couple oranges today because this is your day. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll make sure to go get one. May the 4th. And, and you got to celebrate uh, uh, Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. National National Renewal Day is May 4th. So I think it's uh, for recycling and for becoming a better person. Yeah. That should be every day. Be a better person. It don't hurt. It does not hurt you to be a good person. And that's today. Back to you. All right. Well, that's been Allison here from Netherlands talking about drones, archaeology, and skateboarding. If you're ever interested in learning a new hobby and you're scared you're not allowed to, your gender, don't let anyone <laughs> stop you, okay? Yeah. You can do whatever Yourself. you like. Humans are the least different, like, when it comes to gender, humans are the least different from each other compared to all species on the planet, okay? <laughs> humans, right. are the, humans are so close to each other that there's nothing neither a woman or a man can't do, okay? And no most of the stuff we has... do is all mental anyways. Our brains are the same. Uh, right. And we'll see you on Friday for some... And no other species has the many avenues for communications that we have. Dogs can only bark, right? Birds can only chirp. We can do all kinds of things, and we choose to be whatever. I would say, this is me being a cranky old man telling you to behave yourself on May 4th, 2023 edition of Before Coffee.
be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow our other channels, Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.